Hello and welcome, Charlie. Thank Hello, you mate. How are you doing? On. How are you doing? All good. I've got the dog trying to jump up, but she'll be fine. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's that? She's a little patted out. Come on in. Come on. There she is. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> sweet. Give it a little wave. Young, old? Uh, four. So young oh, enough yeah. to still be absolutely mental. Yeah, yeah. Jumping and, around all over. Well, still just young enough. She's not She's not, not got any of that wisdom yet that old dogs get. She's just, she's still just mental. But it's still good. Like ridiculous that. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, so what I think we'll we'll start with, do you want to give a, a little kind of hello to everyone, give it give a bit of your your background and then we'll we'll go from there. Yep, I am Charlie Holford on Instagram. I'm one leg and a mullet. Um because well weirdly I've got one leg and a mullet, so <laughs> it makes sense that, that would be my name. Um everyone loves the name and it, it kind of means I've got to keep the mullet now, which the missus I think I think she's used to it. Now it's been two years. She's used to the mullet. Um, but yeah, I became an amputee on the 12th of November, 2020, um, after having complex regional pain syndrome for eight years. And since then, I've started CrossFit and I now own my own gym. So it's going pretty well. Mm. That's a very brief summary of me. Well, and, and there's, a, there's a lot in there, isn't there? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so let's start with, let, let's start with the mullet before yeah, anything else. Yeah, but it's the most important part of it. You know, why not? So what what, what made you start? Like what, um, you, so what I knew in kind of March 2020 that I was getting my leg amputated. Yeah. Um, and I knew I'd be getting looked at anyway. And then I was like, a mullet's cool. Like, should I get one? And then lockdown hit. So we were shut down and no one could go out. And the f- initial period of growing a mullet is hideous. I'd say for a good nine to 12 months, you look ridiculous. So in my head, I was going to be at home anyway. And the only person to deal with that would be my missus. So I was like, she can live with that. It's fine. Um, I, I'll be selfish. Um, so I started it. And then, yeah, it, it, it grew to stay. I now love it. I've got a pickup truck. I live in Dorset. I've got a mullet. Every stereotype is there, so why not? Why not keep it going? I love that you've got a pickup truck as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, got is to. It, is it like a proper, proper American style one? Or, or? it's a VW Amarok, so it's massive. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's big V six. So yeah, it kind of is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fitting that stereotype perfectly. I just don't carry weapons around with me. I'm not allowed to do that. So that's that's it. Yeah, not anymore. No. <laughs> and. Uh, and so the complex regional pain syndrome. So you knew from March that you were yep. going to get your leg amputated. Like that's quite. A, that must have been quite a big mindfuck to to kind of go through. Or, or was it not? Because it was a not for me. Not for me. Um, because I'd had it for eight years. Um, I'd only known I'd had it for at that point about eighteen months. Okay. I'd had over six years of pain, but no diagnosis, and people saying I was lying about the pain so that was hard so that, that was the big big hard part um actually getting diagnosed was a really good thing um then a not good thing to realize what it was and what it entailed then I did all the medication and everything then I decided I wanted it off found someone that would have it off um and that was good like that it, that then meant so I was meant to get it off in that March but um like straight away because I'd seen my surgeon in the November and she'd agreed to it and was like, right, Mark, it'll be about March time. So I was like, cool, spot on. 
got to March, obviously COVID hit in like February. So March was lockdowns. And then, yeah, it was put back eventually to November. So I had that big period of time to kind of work on glute strength and core strength because I knew loads of amputees anyway. I'm ex-military, so I knew quite a few. Um, I kind of asked them what I needed to work on. And that was, it was a good thing. Uh, that March to November was, I was busy getting ready for it. So I didn't have time to get nervous. And I was more excited than nervous. Which I'm sure people will be thinking. Which sounds ridiculous. But I guess I guess it's worth kind of going into what life was like before that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not as simple as just, oh, I was excited to get my leg cut off. Um, yeah. There's a bit more to it than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously years with CRPS was um, not the nicest time. And the worst part was being told I was lying. That was being told the pain wasn't there um, and going through the pain it is literally like one of the worst pain conditions you can have. I think it is the worst pain condition you can have. Um, and yeah, to be told it's not there, you're making it up, all that kind of stuff. That was hard. And who was telling you that? Was the doctor? Uh, every doctor. So do you want the story from the beginning? Should yeah. I do that? I mean, how long have we got? Right. So I got injured in 2012, April 2012. I went down. I was just doing battle PT, which is full kit, like, I don't know, 35 kilos-ish. Um, I went down on like a rabbit hole. Um, I thought I'd broken my leg. So I said to the PTI who was taking the PT session, I said, I'm fairly sure I'm injured here. Um, and he kind of said, no, you'll be all right. So I carried on. Um, and then two weeks later, it was still black and swollen. So I thought something's not really right. So I went to the med center, um, on camp and saw the doctor. He didn't scan me. So no x-ray, no MRI scan. He just told me I had shin splints. Um, and I said, I've had I've broken bones before. I'm fairly sure this is broken. He was like, no, I'm the doctor. You've got shin splints. Go and see physio. So from seeing him, I went to physio. And they said, are you sure he said that? And I was like, yep. Um, and in the military, doctors outrank physio, so you can't really say much. They tried to, but he dismissed it. Said, no, he's got shin splints. Treat him for that. The treatment for shin splints was I went on to 13 PT sessions a week. So rehab and then or physios and stuff and it was mainly leg strengthening um so box jumps deadlifts a lot of squatting stuff like that um, just what you want with a bad leg yeah exactly um that went on for four months um i then did a pfa so a mile and a half run halfway through that it went again um i still finished mile and a half in time because i needed to get back to actually doing stuff because you can't when you're in rehab you can't do your job so I wanted to get back, so I finished it anyway. But I went to med center again. Um, he said, okay, we'll x-ray you. The x-ray showed negative. There was nothing wrong with the leg. So then said, right, we'll MRI scan you. So I went and had an MRI scan. And by that point, five months had passed. And they're like, yeah, you had a spiral fracture um, about three inches long on your tibia five months ago. Um, and I was like, cool, thought so. Uh, so then the doctor decided to put me on six weeks bed rest, which is what you would do initially for a broken bone. Um, so we were five months late for that. So I didn't really yeah. understand that. Went back and did physio again. So the pain this whole time was just getting worse. Um, did physio again. Essentially, I was still doing the same physio because they couldn't find out what was wrong because the bone had then healed. It was by the January. So April, I broke it. About October time, they found out. And by January, my leg was showing normal on the scans because they scanned me again. There was nothing wrong with it then. But I was still in massive pain. 
And the physios then said, I've read my medical notes since, and they then said he should go and see a pain specialist, but I didn't get sent to them. The doctor again said no. Um, so the pain was getting worse. They would give me physio shin splints still. It was st- he was still determined it was that. He was. He still he said after the break, he said, no, this is still shin splints because of the pain. Um, that went on for 18 months or so, January 2014. So this is 2012, 2014, I got discharged. Um, from the army it, with increasing pain um, it was getting worse and worse and worse um, and they just tried to fix me doing uh, shin splint physio I uh, got discharged 2014 I then had surgery back home in Paul um, with it was a, a guy who'd done a lot of work with the lads down in Paul and he said there's a treatment he, uh, uh, operation he can do so he went in and essentially planed all my leg like a wood plane he, planed, he went in at the bottom went all the way up with that scraped all the bone um and at the same time went down through my foot and decompressed all my nerves so went into the nerves you know those um cocktail umbrellas where yeah. you them open essentially close one of those put it all the way down to your toes open it and scrape it out he did that with all my toes all my uh, nerves in my feet a lot of them that took a year to to heal heal that he said it might work it might not he didn't know what was wrong he said he doesn't know um this is one that has worked before like nerve decompression and stuff that he thought I might have didn't work. So a year later, the nerve pain had gone um, from the surgery, but my pain was increasing again. And when I say increasing, so we're in like 2015 now, 2016, my pain generally was if you get barbed wire wrap around your leg, set your leg on fire and pull the barbed wire. It was that for like five minutes. And then I'd have five minutes of your legs being in a freezer for half an hour and you're smashing it with a hammer. And that would change every five minutes. I couldn't have a duvet on my leg. I couldn't wear trousers. Couldn't have a shower because of the um, water hitting my leg. Couldn't get it in the rain. The wind would just cripple me. Um, it was, yeah, just bad, like really bad. And all this time, I was going to GPs as well, even even in Sibby Street. I, I can't fully blame the doctor. He, he obviously did things wrong at the start, but even in Sibby Street, they didn't know what was wrong. They were like, this is so confusing don't know what's wrong. Um, and yeah, when I got discharged, they'd, um, I'd miss this, but out, they sent me to a rheumatologist in Bath. Um, one of the, I still know his name to this day, I won't say it. Um, one of the top uh, rheumatologists in the country. Um, and he wrote a letter back saying, this soldier's lying. He wants out of the army, effectively. They, I'm looking for a medical discharge, is what he said, because he couldn't find something wrong. Um, he couldn't diagnose me, so he said I was lying about it. Um, and it's all level one to do. I was, yeah, I was flying. I was doing really well. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was everything to me. Um, and to have that is quite hard. And then the pain's getting worse. And in Civvy Street, people are telling you you're lying. So that was hard, uh, really hard. Had that for four years of that after the surgery that I had. Another four years of you're lying. Um, just take some ibuprofen. It's all in your head kind of thing. Um, and then 2018 comes around and me and Beth move house, my partner, she, we move house, um, get a new GP. I walk in, explain my leg history. He's like, oh, you've got complex regional pain syndrome. And I was like, well, what is that? He explained it all and everything fitted. Um, all the symptoms and that fitted. So then it was like, right, this is what you need to do. If, you'd, if it had been caught in the first six months, potentially I'd be fine now. Um, if the doctor had done his job properly, I'd be fine now. Um, but it was six years rather than six months. 
So I then went on all the medication, like nerve blocking medication. Um, I had injections in my back where they have to x-ray your back while they're injecting you so they don't paralyze you. Um, physio, intense physio, um, kind of around the area, but you can't go too near the area. Um, I had that for about a year. Like I'd, I was on drugs that I would drive to Tesco in the morning. Beth would then get home from work because I wasn't working at that point because um, I couldn't because of the pain. Um, she'd get back from work and I'd say, let's go to Tesco. And she'd say, no, you went this morning. And I'd be like, what? I wouldn't remember going to Tesco. Like I, I couldn't remember parts of my day. I'd just complete brain fog. Um, and yeah, so I had eventually kind of three years bed bound, didn't leave the house, didn't do anything because the pain and also quite a proud man. Um, I didn't like being seen to be in pain. Um, so I didn't leave the house for that reason as well. Um, I've done a year of all this drugs and, and injections and stuff. Nothing was working. I'd found wheelchair rugby by then. I was playing wheelchair rugby. Health Heroes had put me in that direction. Um, Health Heroes helped me a lot back in the day. Yeah. Um, and found that. And I, there was a bloke there that had the same thing. He had CRPS in his foot. He had it cut off and he was fine. So I was like, that's interesting. Did a lot of research into it. A lot of people don't like doing it because they say the pain spreads. But there's no real evidence to suggest it does. That's just what they say. So they don't do it. Found a surgeon, Alex Crick. She was... She's done a lot of military amputations, a huge amount. Um, when I saw her, I wrote down two pages, handwritten two pages of why I think I should have it off the risks. I knew the risks. I, I was willing to outweigh them by the fact it might help and all this. My life was, I had no life at all. Life was hideous, hated it. Um, got in there. She did a few little tests and that. I didn't really think much of it, what she was doing. I then get my bits of paper out, start reading. She's like, you don't need to read me this. I'll, I'll cut your leg off. And that will save me forever. That's one of the the happiest moments of my life is her saying that, which is really odd to people to hear that, but it, it genuinely is. And from there, obviously, had it cut off and then the rest is history, really, with me. Yeah, and it it, it is an odd thing for people that <clears throat> haven't had a history of pain. I mean, I uh, you and I have chatted before about the issues I've got with my, with my foot. Yeah. Um, which... I have. I've had this since birth. So my pain is just that's normal. Yeah. And I it, it's the the thing that I particularly over the last six months recovering from surgery and, and all that kind of kind of side of pain and, and just now trying to figure out what the what the hell to do with it. Um is the the kind of wearing down of your energy levels for one just yeah. just by you know being awake or yeah. living your time literally is yeah completely um, get that and then it's the like you were saying it's the emotional strain on it cuz mm -hmm. particularly you know you've had a really um kind of active uh, lifestyle in the army you've you know you've been you've been enjoying that you've been loving it to go from that to then go into not being able to do anything that mm -hmm that's a huge impact on on your on your mental space yeah how, how did you find that period did you horrific just yeah. just horrific there's, there's no words that can describe it um i hid myself away i it was hard being told i was lying but being in pain so i would thrash myself like beyond belief i'd put myself in endless endless pain like with crps if you it's always there. It's always really painful. It is properly painful. 
But mm. if you're sensible with it, it's kind of, it's not, if a normal person had it for one day, they wouldn't say it's manageable. But you all know this, like you can make it manageable yeah. um, by doing as little as possible, being sensible. I would go the other way. I was so angry. I was I just, my anger issues were huge um, because of it. Because why was I like this? Because I'd ruined my life and all this. So I completely thrashed myself um, to the point of passing out, throwing up pain because it, it just the pain I put myself in to punish myself um, for being weak. That's what I thought of myself. I thought I was weak. Um, and I'd go from the anger to the like full on depression of, I again had a truck back then. I'd, I'd drive it around as fast as I could without a seatbelt on and I'd try and find a tree just to hit because I just, it was, I'd spiral from those two severe, severe extremities one after the other throughout the day like it, it was it was that bad like it was each day rather than rather than a week or a month at a time it was every day and that was I was probably for about two years I was like that every day um at my worst and then so I was hiding myself in my room wasn't doing anything doing that um going out thrashing myself and on the way back from going out I'd be like what have you done this isn't worth it but then I just didn't want to be a burden. Like all, all of this, it was it was hideous. And then then I, then my dad um, told me to go and see Help Heroes, and that changed everything, literally overnight. Not overnight, but it, it helped me realise. And then I was around other people, and yeah, I spent about eighteen months there, kind of most at least once a week for eighteen months. Okay. Um, and that really opened my eyes, kind of being around people because I never went to war either. So, and that was my big thing. I struggled for a long time. I felt like that's what that's what I wanted to do. That was I, I loved all that part of the training. I wanted to get there and do that and, and be out there. And then I was going into anger management classes with lads that had been around hideous, horrific things, um, seen horrible things, their mates literally disappearing in front of them. Um, and one day I was in one anger management class and I'd not spoken about myself because I just couldn't. Um, and it was an anger and anxiety class. And the guy next to me said about how literally his mate in front of him, mate behind him, both blown up completely. I couldn't find any bits that, that, that bad. And he'd survived and he'd had to like witness it. And he struggled really bad with PTSD. And then they asked me to talk about me. And I said my story and the bloke had spoken for me. And I, I was such, I had such a guilt complex because I hadn't what? been to war. I was like, why, why am I with these people? These are heroes. Um, and he then said to me, you've got as much right to be here as we have. What you've been through is, is unbelievable. And that for me was a massive turning point as well. It, that was a really big part of, of that for me, uh, to hear that from someone that I thought had been through the worst things you could be through. For him to say that to me, I, I've never told him. I'm still, I still talk to him. Um, I probably should tell him. Um, but that probably changed my life. It's one of one of the points of that Help Heroes kind of journey that, that helped change everything yeah and it's that again a very different scenario but i get that and not so much these days that that kind of guilt that well actually my my conditions my conditions okay it's Mm -hmm. like i why am i why am i whinging why am i asking for adjustments why am i adapting to things those, those sorts of feelings but then you kind of realise, well, if you compare me to anyone that doesn't have all yes. this stuff, actually, that's a significant period of time. Um, and actually, for me, it was wheelchair basketball. Yeah. Really recently, about 
six weeks ago um, and just being immediately accepted into playing and just being part of that that kind of team and environment yeah. like it just completely changed my my mindset um, yeah kind of similar similar to yours and I mean the one thing I would say there is do tell that bloke because yeah. that's such a such a remarkable thing from something so small mm-hmm. yeah but that's all it does take sometimes it's something that small um it really does and the and I'll say with the, you with basketball me with rugby like I was having like count like I call it counseling to a psychologist I guess it was counseling I don't really know yeah, therapy, um, whatever you want to call it um but she said because my anger was massive um like someone could walk like, look at me weird and I'd just want to smash their face off the concrete like just uh, I don't know how I stop myself sometimes I did yeah. some horrible things but like I could have done horrific things. Um, that's why I kept myself inside. Another another big thing for being inside was that I then couldn't be in confrontation because confrontation for me was I would then black out and I wouldn't know what I was doing kind of yeah. thing. And people don't realise that people that have like, a lot of people these days think they're, a lot of kids think they're really hard. But until they come up against someone that's got like genuine, I'm not hard, I'm not, a so, I'm not at all, massive softy. But back in those days with the anger, people that have genuine anger issues, they can't control it. Like it's scary. It's scary for the person. Like I, I found it scary, really scary. Yeah, for the and she said to me, "Why, why don't you do anything about that? What, what can you do?" And I'm like, "I can't do anything. I just shut it down straight away. I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. Pain all the time." She's like, "Have you tried wheelchair rugby?" And I was like, "I'm not in a wheelchair." And she said, "That's ridiculous. You don't need to be in a wheelchair to do wheelchair rugby." Yeah. I was like, "All right." So she said, "There's one near you, Bournemouth, Bournemouth Lions wheelchair rugby." So I was like, okay, it then took me eight weeks to get the courage up to go. Every week I'll be at the door ready to go. And I'm like, nah, not going, not a chance. And eight weeks later, I finally went and they pummeled me. Like, and it was amazing. And then I then I started to learn how to push a chair. And now I destroy people every weekend. And I love it and they love it. And it's just the best thing. It's a safe environment. It's encouraged to be violent. And it means you can get it out in a sensible way. And it's just learning, learning how to deal with it. And you need help with that. You can't, you've got to find it yourself. I'm a big believer in that, Lots of people these days are very quick to offer advice and things. Not for me. Not at all. I'll never say to someone, do this, do that. You need to find your own way of doing it. Go and see a proper psychologist or something. Work it out. Find out what's actually deep down wrong and what's happened and all that. They can then recommend things, but it's up to you to then find what works for you. I'm not a big fan of people saying, do this, do that. You don't do that. That That could swing it the other way. I see see things on Instagram to this day that I see that. And I think if I was back then in my bad stage, I could potentially go and kill myself because of what I've just seen. Mm. It's that bad that people, these, I know that mental health is coming to the forefront and it's really good, but I think there's far too many people that are self, like they call themselves almost professionals when they've actually not armchair, armchair psychologists. That's the one. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Um, there is, and, and it's not, it's, it's, it's not just the psychologist side either. It's the, the armchair PTs, the armchair yeah. sports person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you can, you can basically find anything these days because it's it just because it's worked for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone. And, and people and need to realize just, that it probably won't work for the person that you're telling it to because yeah. you've told them to do it. Mm-hmm. So something that, that I've learned and sounds like you've, you've also learned is that 
if somebody tells me to do something and I go and do it, it won't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it won't work because I've gone in there going, well, I've been told to do this. It's not something that I've committed to, and that I've actually gone through that commitment stage uh, or stages rather um, to get to the end of actually then wanting and then going and doing it for me. Yeah, and doing it with somebody else. So I will never follow it through. Just it won't work. Simple as that. that. Whereas if if and my psychologist, because I, I, I still see my psychologist, um, the work that we've done is much more, she will kind of plant seeds. Yeah. You know, just little little thoughts here and there of of different things that, that I you know, might want to, to think about. And then it's usually five or six sessions later um, that I'll kind of come back going, do you know what? Yeah. I'm do this. Or I'm going to do that. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's that's the way to get commitment to doing mm-hmm. one, but also it's it's the way to get the the greatest impact for that person. Correct. Yeah, which is huge, and you, you must find that in the gym as well. Definitely. So coaching now, um, we're, we're leaping forward a lot here. But where, when I coach, people respond differently. So I'm very my coach because um, I've got a coach because I compete. Um, I'm very much, I don't need encouragement and I actively don't want encouragement. If I'm in a workout, say it's a 16 minute workout, I know what to do for those first 14 minutes. In that last two minutes, my coach, Scott, will just, if someone came in and saw what he was doing and heard what he was saying, they'd they'd get him arrested. (laughs) I need that. Yeah, I need to be called every name under the sun. I, I need aggression. That's how I respond. I respond well to aggression. That's how you get the best out of me. Um, some people need nurturing. So when I'm coaching, I'm then learning if that person needs the aggression or if they need a nurture kind of, come on, you can do this. If you say, come on, you can do this to me, the chances are I'll just punch you. Like, don't do that to me. That's not what I respond well to. I need aggression. I need to be, yeah, (laughs) it's funny when you hear me being coached. Do you think that's from your army days or do you think that's just because of what you um, I grew up my parents were very strict which I'm very thankful for my dad was a cavalry officer oh, um, wow. properly strict properly like regimented loved it um, it worked really well for me doesn't work well for everyone um, I grew up scared of him but that's a really good thing in, in my in my in my life it's been a really good thing um, I then that translated well into the army obviously um, and it's just my personality. Um, like when when I went downhill, my depressive state was anger. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that's because I'm an aggressive person by nature. But I'm actually, so I, I'm really nice. I'm, I'm a nice person. Um, but when pressure's put on, I'm very aggressive. And I guess that's the fight or flight thing. I, again, I, I don't know. This is all me just saying things. I guess it's that whole fight or flight. Some people, when they're put under pressure, get aggressive. That's me. Some people need nurturing, telling it's going to be okay, and then they'll kind of go. Um, that's just how it is. That's just how I am. Yeah, it's it, it's a collective, essentially, of your your own past experience. Some would argue that there's a, a kind of um, genetic element there, but I would probably say that it's more about how you've been brought up yeah that you're in that's that's then your kind of core to mm-hmm. how you then respond to other situations 
yeah it's 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 an interesting area um how people how people respond particularly when they have kind of really severe illnesses mm-hmm. um so you can go from being somebody that was everybody thought was like the nicest person ever to being like the most hideous person ever yeah um, but actually yeah, that's just you getting back to the kind of core element of how you deal with things yeah yeah definitely uh, i really agree with that one yeah very 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 interesting um so i'm conscious that we just jump jump forward but let, let, let's kind of jump jump back slightly so you you you'd kind of finally got the the go ahead for getting your leg taken off um so was that before the pandemic properly hit because march yeah so I, I saw miss crick my surgeon in the november so she told me in November 2019 yeah. that I was going to have it off, um, like confirmed. It was going to be about March time. Then obviously the pandemic hits in kind of late January, early February. Mm. Um, then the lockdown hits in late March. And then she's like, yeah, it could take ages. So at that point, I basically just do little things like glute bridges and and a bit of core work and stuff. Just because I'd asked my mates, I was like, what? what's the best way of, of being ready for the amputation because I didn't want to have it cut off and because I had so long to be able to do nothing I wanted to be able to get up and go straight away um, or as straight away as you possibly can um, so I just made myself ready really I spent that kind of eight month period just getting ready for it physically and what 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 was that kind of like in that kind of because you everyone was was in the same situation that you were you were entirely locked down how did you find your your mindset through that period? What, Exciting. What, I loved it. I, I love having things to work on, which is why, again, why I think I struggled when I couldn't do things because there was nothing I could work towards. Yeah, okay. I've got things to work towards. I really enjoy it. And that's another reason I now do CrossFit, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, I love working towards the amputation. Like I knew I couldn't possibly be in perfect shape, but I could do things that would help. And it would make, it would mean that I could put myself into a bit more pain every day knowing that eventually it's going to help towards getting cut off so I wasn't worried if I was having a bad pain day I'd keep it with it I'd try to keep it within reason but I I, I was knew I was working towards the greater good if you will yeah um that's how I cope with that and were, were you on kind of still on your all your pain meds and everything during I'd come that off day? them by then because they weren't they weren't touching the pain yeah. they were just turning me into a zombie so I came off them all yeah I'm like, I'm like that yeah pain meds just i i can live with pain because yeah. i live with pain forever mm-hmm. the pain meds stopping some of that pain yeah doesn't really touch the sides no exactly so may as well not be on them because the the side effects outweigh what they're doing by a huge amount mm-hmm. i mean even just you know even just the, the kind of the, the basic ones like codeine and and kind of oromorph and, and, and yeah. that type of stuff. Like I just don't respond well to mm-hmm. at all. I'm completely yeah. out of it. I feel yeah. horrible. Um, yeah, every every possible side effect you can get. Yeah. And obviously as you ramp up into the different the different pain meds, it's it's just worse. Yeah. Um, and the pain's still there. Exactly. So I was like, "Nah, forget that." And I've, I've been told I was getting it off. So my, me, and my head, there was no point staying on them. Um, a lot of people go on them for the amputation because they think it will help with the amputation pain, um, which again we'll get to in a second. But 
I just came off them. I was like, nah, not not going to bother. Not interested. So I came off them all. Um, so I had that had that eight months of just kind of light exercise to get my body kind of ready. Um, and it was exciting. A really exciting eight months for me, um, which is not like every other person in lockdown. Um, but I was in lockdown preparing to get my leg cut off and I was excited. So uh, it almost almost came at the right time for you. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it worked out really well for me. Yeah, if we could have a pandemic, that was perfect timing. Yeah, 10 out of 10 would highly recommend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I think in many ways, people will look back at the, pen, at the pandemic and you'll be on one of two sides, either yeah. on the side of... It was it was amazing, or on the side of it was the worst thing that could ever mm-hmm. ever happen. Yeah, I, I'm more on the amazing side than yeah. the, the, the the not. Um, so you, obviously you, next was then the the op. Yeah, so morning of the operation, um, morning of the op, I got my wheelchair, had a stunt board on the wheelchair ready, and I walked it into the hospital. So I walked behind it and I pushed it in. Um, sat in the waiting room. Took a picture of my two legs because I thought, wait a minute, I've not taken a picture of my legs. So I just took a picture of them just because. Um, still got it in my little amputation album on the phone. Um, went in, met the surgeon, said, morning, you're right. I just made sure she had the right leg in that. Um, walked over to the operating table, sat down on it. Uh, went under two and a quarter hours later, I woke up. And I've not had any pain since. Wasn't on any medication when I woke up, didn't take anything. I had ibuprofen for four days um, for the swelling, and I've not had any pain medication since. That's incredible. And I've not had any pain, not not one bit of pain. When you first get your leg cut off, you get, well, obviously the nerves are reattaching themselves. They've, they've been cut, your nerves have been cut off. Like, that's not a great thing. You'll get, like, a little electric pains. And also when you wake up, it's like you're wearing a really tight pair of boots on your foot that isn't there anymore. Um, but that's just a sensation. That's not a pain. It wasn't painful. I was like, oh, that's weird. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I had nothing. So the electric sensations went after maybe six weeks. Okay. Um, and right now I can move my foot. It's not there, obviously. But if I tense my calf muscle, I can move my foot up and down. Um, it's not there, but I, in my head I can. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's been everything I could have wished it to be. And how how do you get your head around that that you can move your foot, but it's not there? Weird. I said the weirdest thing. Day one, lying in my bed, and the nurse comes round to do her notes and all that. So she's got my clipboard on her. She drops it on the bed where my foot used to be, but I haven't got a foot anymore. But my head hasn't realised that yet because obviously it's been like half a day she puts it down like whoa fuck and but i'm like oh no no it's not there uh, okay cool 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 and that happened for like two days and then after that i just i was like oh yeah not got a foot that's fine so i just remembered the body's mental the body is just the weirdest thing um it's so good at like at repairing itself and working out what's going on it's just quality and, and how long was recovery for so i didn't leave my bed for four days I had a vacuum sleeve on, yeah. Um, so the nurses loved me because I was shitting in a pot, basically, um, and handing it to them. Um, one of them was washing my hair for me because by that time I had a mullet, didn't I? So she had to wash my hair for me. She loved that. Um, I was in hospital for a week. Um, 
I was doing, I did nothing apart from, so the physios give you generic stuff like little glute bridges and like little raises, leg raises you got to do with your stump. Um, I was doing that for three weeks. I then went and got into the kind of walkie thing. It's a big boot that you blow up and you can, it's, it takes all the pressure off your stump. It, it puts the pressure on your thigh and you yeah, can, okay. I did that after three weeks. Got measured up for my car, for my new socket, four weeks in. Five and a half weeks after my amputation, I got my leg. Yeah. And that was the 23rd of December. Um, and on Christmas Day, I walked into my granddad's house with no crutches. Literally walked in. Um, and that was just under six weeks. I was running after 52 days. Um walking up hills after a couple of months. I did the CrossFit Open 2021. That was three months after my amputation. Um, yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, most amputees struggle. I, I used crutches for one day, and that wasn't even six weeks into my amputation. Um, and from then, I've been walking fine. I, I've been wearing my leg 16 hours a day from maybe two months after my amputation. I've, had, I've never had any skin issues. I've never had problems with it. I've never had to have like rest days or anything. It, it's literally fine. And I'm, I'm aware that I'm very fortunate and that's not the same for everyone. One thing I say with amputation is that everyone's different. Yeah. I've got people I know that have been six months and they're still struggling to even put their leg on. Um, whereas after six weeks, I was walking without crutches. So it's not a, it's not a one boot one fits all kind of thing. Yeah. And do, do you think that is down to the skill of the surgeon or yes. done so many. Yeah. I think that's a massive thing because Alex Crick, she showed when I had my um, bandages off four days afterwards, you could hardly see the scar. Like it's, it's ridiculous. You can't see the scar now at all. And I've got a tattoo where my stump is and she cut it in half and sewed it back up perfectly. It's a gorilla and she sewed it perfectly back up. You can't see the scar on it. She's an absolute magician. She's just, yeah, brilliant, brilliant surgeon. She's she specialised in um, hand and face surgery before she went on to legs. Okay. So obviously, a leg is a much bigger bit of kit than a hand, and a yeah. hand you need to get perfect because of all the little tendons and stuff. Yeah. So to go on to legs from that, it's it's yeah, she she's yeah, amazing. And then, in terms of like the kind of after effects, the the kind of physio and and all that sort of stuff, was that. Was that pretty easy for you? By the I had two physio sessions the whole time because COVID. Um, oh, so course, I did my own, yeah. basically. I went on YouTube, did things. So I just set little things up in the garden to do, like walk up a little bit of a hill, walk down some steps. Um, I was walking foot over foot on stairs. That's a big thing for empty when they first have it off, is walking downstairs is quite hard. Yeah. Um, you have to go same step down really yeah. slowly. And to go foot over foot, someone told me to take a year, but it took me like six weeks after I got my leg um, to do that. But I, because I was quite fortunate and the leg fitted well, it was a, my stump was really good. Um, if it wasn't hurting or leaving marks on my stump, I was going to do it. So I never pushed it beyond the point of, I never pushed it to the point where the stump was marking or anything like that. I'd always be sensible enough that spend an hour on it and then have an hour off kind of thing really sensible um again because the lads i knew who told me that they they'd gone too hard and had to have it off for a week and that wasn't gonna happen with me i wasn't gonna let it happen so i just really yeah. sensible but i pushed myself whilst being sensible and and how does it 
how does it feel now to use the is it just one prosthetic leg that you've got or have you got um i've currently got two but i'm picking two more up next week okay. um so being i was injured in the military so i i'm go through a different um process i still go to nhs prosthetic centers but i can essentially really get any leg that i want right. and because i now compete internationally at crossfit i my prosthetist kind of pushes even harder to get legs so the leg i'm wearing now is my crossfit leg and i'm getting another one exactly the same next week just in case it breaks because i've got a competition i've just come back from spain i'm going to spain again next month and i've got america in december and if it breaks i can't work out i can't compete and i'm sponsored so i I need to i need to be able to compete um so i'm getting one of them i'm getting another hydraulic ankle one and i'm getting a standard wet leg that i've already got flight going into the sea and stuff so I'm, I'm, I realise I'm fortunate being ex-military, you, you do get to kind of choose what legs you want um, and then kind of say yes without really thinking. Yeah. Um, as long as you can prove that you'll use it to the max capacity. Um, and NHS patients, which I don't agree with, they struggle to get more than one leg. And I think that's wrong because prosthetic legs are made for different things. It's not like a meat leg, an ankle has like, so it can do, legs are amazing. Like you don't Until you're missing a leg or you can't use a leg properly, you realise how incredible a leg, a foot, feet are amazing. Like feet and toes, just once you start looking into it, they're, they're just incredible. The engineering that goes into a human body is unbelievable. And to get that married, nothing will match it prosthetic-wise, but you can get stuff that does the job well enough. Yeah. But you'll need five or six different legs to be able to do everything a human body can. And NHS patients, standard ones, get one, which is wrong, really. You can't, You it's difficult. Yeah, and it it's not just on that side either. It's it's the same with orthotics. So one of the things that I'm looking into at the moment is um, basically leg braces, very yeah. very posh leg mm-hmm. braces, but leg braces, um, and trying to get those through the NHS is seemingly nigh on impossible. Yeah, um, but for me to go and get them, uh, it's about five grand a piece. They'll last for maybe two years, yeah, um, and then I'll need to spend another ten grand to to get another set. But that's the difference between me having to use, you know, one of these walking frames at home, as an example, um, crutches when I'm out, or a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the leg braces, in theory, because you never know until you're actually in them, yeah. But I should be able to walk, possibly even run. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. Like yeah. that's life changing. Yeah, literally life changing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the fact that you've got to pay for that is absurd. Mm. In in my head, it just doesn't it doesn't compute. It's mad. Well, it's the thing that I I've found probably the most frustrating with trying to find ways of doing normal things mm-hmm. when I'm not particularly normal. Yeah. Um, and like for the for the whole of my life, I've just gone on with it. I've just sucked it up, and you know, like like you were saying about hiding your pain, that that was my. I, <clears throat> I didn't even admit to my parents mm-hmm. that I was having really constantly severe pain um, to the point that I would cry myself to sleep, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, until until recently. Because I can't hide it now. Yeah. 
And I kind of think that if I'd been able to admit that sort of stuff years back, one, I'd have played wheelchair basketball rather than able, able-bodied basketball. Yeah. Because I played able-bodied when I was younger. And I, would, I was all right, but I couldn't jump properly. Yeah. yeah. run properly. <laughs> you know, I was a big, big enough bloke to kind of make my make my my presence known yeah but i'd have been flying that wheelchair basketball yeah um, and it's like just the things that i could have done in the past i find that really irritating mm-hmm. you add in the cost element to all these things because you know even just getting a wheelchair basketball chair like the clubs are great because most of them will will let you use one but yeah. you you need one for oh yeah I'll just find two grand. Exactly. My pocket. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. man, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you you mentioned that you've been that, that you're now kind of sponsored and, and the army obviously um, gives you certain certain access. How how do you think you would have gotten on without that that kind of access? Um, I think I'm again fortunate in that I'm very get on with it, kind of do it. Um, I would have still done all that I'm doing now. Yeah, I would have done it with the worst leg. Um, you get you get decent enough legs through the NHS. I've, the one I've got originally was an NHS one because the paperwork you got to get sorted out from the army to get through to the veterans prosthetic panel is a lot. So they gave me the best one of the best ones you can get on the NHS to start with. It's a decent enough leg. I did cross it with it for a while. But the one yeah. I've got now is taking me on leaps and bounds. So I wouldn't compete internationally with it. Yeah. Um, but I would still do CrossFit with it because um, I started CrossFit with it. So it's fine. But I just wouldn't be at the level that I am now if I still had that leg. But I'd, st- I'd still do everything I could because it would still have been better than my leg before. Yeah. And and how long after your your amputation did you start getting into fitness to start with? But then, like, then getting into CrossFit. So CrossFit was the first real thing into fitness, really. Um, obviously, get, getting fit again it, it is technically fitness. But that, so after my amputation, just learning to walk, learning to walk upstairs. I did a lot of hill walking because that's really good for it. Um, yeah. I did that the first couple of months, and then month three, um, yeah. So November in February, the CrossFit Open was was going, and they introduced adaptive categories for the first time. Um, so the CrossFit Open is the way you get to the CrossFit Games, which is like the Olympics, the World Championships for CrossFit. Um, and they brought out Adaptive. I was three months post-amputation. I thought, oh, this is for me. I was like, I don't think I can do it because I've never done CrossFit. But I thought, why not? I'll enter it. So give it a go. Did that. Um, didn't come last. Um, came like 117th out of 190 in my category yeah. worldwide. Um, thought, this is amazing. Um, then in April, I signed up to my local gym uh and started there basically um and yeah so the first and that's a good thing with crossfit the reason i chose crossfit is that it makes you functionally fit everything you do in crossfit you can relate to a, a normal everyday task really um and that's what i wanted i wanted the whole reason for starting was to make sure that when i got to 60 or 70 i wasn't reliant on other people i could i could do everything um, so this year we rene- we bought a- we bought a new house and I renovated it with my mate. Like I was putting in steel beams, I was carrying things upstairs on my shoulders, walking up ladders into the loft. I cut a tree down, all that kind of stuff I did, and that's yeah, yeah. I believe because I started CrossFit and I can do all that stuff. Um, 
it just so happens that I really got into it um, like massively. And the good thing with it is that you can never be perfect at CrossFit because there's so much in CrossFit, so many movements, so many different things. Weightlifting, gymnastics, cardio, sprints, long workouts. If you're really good at one thing, chances are you're not going to be good at another. A really, really good gymnast is not going to be a really, really good weightlifter. You've got to have kind of linear curve across it all. So you've got to be kind of good at everything rather than great at one thing. Yeah. That means you've always got to work on everything, which is what I love. Like that when I was saying earlier about having a goal to work towards, the CrossFit goal will never be complete for me because you cannot be great at everything. So that's why I chose it, basically. That's why I love it so much. So I spent uh, six months at my first gym. I then went to another one uh, where I met my coach. Um, I then got a lot better um, quickly. Um, and then, yeah, had some money left over from my compensation. So I thought, why not open your own gym? So five weeks ago, we, me and George, who helped me move my house with me, we opened our own gym. So we, I now own a gym. How's that going? How's that going? Amazing. Like, really good. We're, we're smashing our targets. Um, I've already got a lady in a wheelchair because I, was, because I play wheelchair rugby. I said to them, do you want to come along? So Chantelle, who's the coach's wife, she comes along. She's a spinal cord injury. Um, and she comes along and does CrossFit. I had two PT sessions with her where we kind of figured out what movements she'd do instead of able-bodied movements. Yeah. And now she comes in and she can do a class by herself. And she's working harder than she has done in a long time because, and that's the great thing with CrossFit, I've just come from Barcelona where we've had a, an adaptive competition from people all over the world uh, were there competing. And you've got lower limb extremity, one point of contact too, so above knee and below knee. You've got upper extremities and missing arms. You've got sensory, so no sight, no hearing. Yeah. Uh, wheelchair with hip, wheelchair without. Everyone can do it. Um, and it's I, brilliant. One of the things that I found quite difficult in the um, in the uh, adaptive games for national fitness games, which you know, unfortunately I couldn't couldn't get to because of COVID in the end, but was trying to figure out which category to go into. Yeah, because actually, if I'm looking at movements, most stuff in the gym I'll do seated. Yeah, because I just I can't mm-hmm. I just can't put the weight through it. But then equally, I'm not a wheelchair user permanently. So like, it, I almost feel like I'm in a bit of a grey area, but I think once I get that figured out. Yeah. Um, so this weekend was run by Wheelwood. They're an American company. Um, yeah. They first started Adaptive CrossFit years and years ago, way before CrossFit Games did. And their categories are a lot harder than CrossFit Games. So CrossFit wants to be inclusive. So in my category in, in CrossFit Games, in the Open, you've got everything from drop foot, club foot, uh, limb difference. You've then got below knee amputees. You've got above knee amputees. Yeah. Hip disarticulation, like Tyler Saunders, he'd be in my category. Yeah, he's only got yeah. one, literally one leg. He's got nothing else, no hip. Yeah. Um, and I've got two knees, which is a huge difference. Whereas wheelwad separated. So I, I'm two points of contact lower, which means I've got two knees which is a massive thing in CrossFit. It means you can squat. Um, but then you've got one point of contact, which is above the amputations. Um, they're one point of contact. So I don't compete against them because it wouldn't be fair. Yeah. Because I've got a much better range of motion. Um, I can deadlift properly. They can't. They've got to stick their kind of limb that doesn't work or is fake out and lift yeah. up. Whereas I can, I've got both knees. I can deadlift like a normal person, if you will. 
Um, things like that make it a lot more different, which is why Wheelwad, I'm going to the Wheelwad Games, I qualified for that this year, um, which is the biggest, it's the biggest competition in the of CrossFit by a long way. Um, and it's it much bigger than the like games for us. Grand prize part. It's a lot, yeah. Some ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. Um, so I qualify for that, and that's in North Carolina in December, and that, that's going to be massive, which is nice. Yeah. And how do you actually go about even starting to to kind of qualify for the? Do you literally just sign up for competitions and go? Yeah. So I did one local competition with my last gym. Um, then I learned that there there's a website you can go on and it lists all the CrossFit competitions. So I was like, oh, okay, entered another one, and then basically went from there. Finally entered my first adaptive one, which was Lowlands Throwdown this year um, in Amsterdam. Went there, that was amazing. Um, and then Wadsalona that's just been came up, and I was like, okay, I'll try that. Um, really hard qualifiers. It's all online, so you do an online qualifier where you get you film yourself. And yeah. someone judges you and then they watch that back and make sure it's all correct and then the top people qualify so i qualified in fifth for this out of five people that could qualify so only just got in um and then we were games i i qualified sixth and only the top six get in and then we were games different competitions from around the world get qualifying spots so the one we've just done in modcelona the top three that finished there automatically get a ticket to the wheel world games so you can either do the online qualifier or get there through another competition yeah, I think okay. there's about twenty in my category that will get there eventually, but only six went from the online qualifier. And I mean, how how do you afford to do all these competitions? Uh, so not... I'm very fortunate that I get a full military pension, medical pension, okay. so I don't need to work really. Um, yeah. I'll get that forever. But also, I'm now sponsored by Hendy Motor Group, who are yeah. quite a big motor group in the, in the south of England. Um, I was talking to a guy in the gym. Um, for a couple of days because he was he'd had recently had knee surgery kind of early 50s i was like cool i'll just help you out um see what you're doing randomly one day he said oh do you fancy if we uh can we all right to sponsor you and i was like sorry mate, i don't even know what you do I, I don't know who you are he's like oh i'm C- ceo of hendy group i'm like oh okay that's quite a big company um and they are their turnovers a billion like they're they're a, they're a big company down here um and yeah they sponsor my travel and, and competition spent expenses so I'm just very fortunate that I've been given that opportunity and it now means that I can go and do things like this, which is like a second life. Like my first half of life, growing my childhood was great, everything, no issues. 20s were rough, but really rough. Um, now I'm 31 and I'm like I'm born again. Like it's, it's loving it, absolutely loving it. And obviously the, the gym will keep you busy anyway. Yeah. Um, how do you reckon you're going to fit what sounds like a growing um, set of competitions for you. So I'm going to kind of stick to, I need to stick to about four competitions a year because they're getting quite big competitions now. Yeah, They take a lot out of you. So it's a lot of work building up to competition. And I've got three rest days afterwards, which is unheard of for a CrossFit athlete. I've got three days of complete nothing. Then I'm going to gradually get back into training and then I've got another competition in three weeks time and then another one a month after that. So really, I need to spread them out better. These ones are too close together. Um, but we'll pay people to coach in the gym. We need, you need more than one coach in the gym anyway. Yeah, We've got cool. two at the moment. Um, we'll, we'll just get more. Um, and it's good to keep busy. Like I definitely, I, I don't have to work, so I didn't need to start the gym. It, I don't need money from it, 
but I need to keep busy. I, I, I hate not doing stuff. I spent too long not doing stuff to do it again. So that's why that's why we started it, is just to, to keep busy, really. And I guess because it's a passion anyway, yeah. the kind of CrossFit side, it makes it not like work. Exactly that. And it means that I can coach in the morning, then train in the same place, and then go home. Yeah. Um, I don't have to go from gym to gym to do all of this. And yeah. also, I just like helping people. Like, it, it's helped me so much. Um, functionally, not competing, and that's another thing on on the CrossFit page that we write on Instagram, CrossFit Two Five Eight, which is my gym. I don't put about my competitions because I don't want people to think that that's what CrossFit is. Yeah, for me, fundamentally, I started it so that I could move better. That's why I started CrossFit. It just so happens that I got quite good at it, um, so I now compete. That's all that was. It, it wasn't. I don't want people to think that oh, I'll come to CrossFit and be a massive CrossFit hench, massive guy. That's not what it's about. It's just about movement. So this morning I had a guy in who's a professional stuntman. He used to be a BMXer. He's now a professional stuntman. And he was in with George, my business partner, his mum. So Yvonne, who's 63, and Jason, who I'd say is mid-30s. Jason's at one end of the spectrum. Yvonne's at the other. It's the same workout they do, but they do different movements. So one, Jason did toast to bar today, whereas Yvonne did hanging knee raises. And Jason did a, a barbell bench press, and Yvonne used a, a medicine ball and just did that on the floor. And it's a little thing that everything's adaptable, everything's scalable, and it's just really nice to see. It's really nice to have two people in the same class that are so far on their fitness journey. They're so different on their fitness journey um, and have them doing the, getting the same stimulus but doing different movements. And I guess that's why it works so well for adaptive athletes as well. Exactly. you've got so much scope. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not, obviously, like, like powerlifting. Mm. For Paralympic powerlifting, it's a bench press. That's it. That's all you do. Yeah. Whereas CrossFit is everything, every movement. And they even bring in new movements all the time. There's new things being invented all the time. So you'll never do the same thing. Every day is different. And it's all just, yeah, helping your body move, really. Including kipping, which... It's something yeah. that I don't know I'll ever be able to do, but yeah, <laughs> each 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 um each to their own in that one. I, yeah, <laughs> not 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 something that my uh, my body allows. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, wicked. It, it, I think that your your story is just is an incredible one from my perspective because. I really understand particularly the pain period yeah. and the relief that you must have, must have not the, then, then kind of um, gotten from not having that, but also just the fact that you're, you're embracing life, even though you, you kind of, you don't entirely need to, you, you as like you say, you could just. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, but for me, like I, when I had my leg amputated, I started a job as a greenkeeper five months afterwards yeah. So it was a seasonal job, and I was like, oh, I'll go for that, fuck it. And so I went for it and got it. I was sat on a, like, six in the morning out with deer, like cutting grass and stuff and strimming and stuff, and I did that for six months, and I loved it. Yeah. I just have to keep busy. I can't not be busy because it keeps your brain – the main thing is keeping your brain busy, keeping your brain working, doing stuff. I spent far too long not doing stuff, and, and that's when it catches up with you. So now that I'm doing stuff and can do stuff, I, I do a lot, really. And it's the longevity of your brain as well. The, the more yeah. active you are, and there's plenty of of study on on this. Um, the more active you are, the better it is for your brain health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the less likely you are to 
of kind of serious illnesses as you um as you get yeah. older. So yeah. Why why would keep going? Yeah. Keep going. We're only we're only here for a short time. A very short time. Yeah. So you gotta make the most of it. Yeah, exactly, mate. Awesome. Um before we wrap up, I always ask two questions of uh of my of my guests. So one, um looking back to your younger self when you were your kind of five year old self, what bit of advice would you would you give um and why? Do what you want. Don't listen to other people. Yeah. Um if you feel like you want to do something, do it. If it's the wrong choice, you'll soon learn. Um but that's how you that's how you grow. Yeah. Life isn't perfect. You have to make mistakes. Um I, I but then I, I did that and I'm I'm pleased I did, and that's why I can be so confident in it, is that just just do things. If you if you think, oh I'm not that I'd rather regret doing something than regret never doing it. That's a, that's a massive thing for me. Um, so that that's what I'd say. Awesome. And then the, the next one's a bit of a two-parter, but just pretend that I'm literally the world's best chef. Okay. And really pretend. Um, what meal would you have for a, a kind of a, a dinner party, a gathering? Uh, what, 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 what meal would you have cook? Lasagna. Yeah? Yep. Love that because that's my. You said chef, and I was like, I'm saying lasagna. Whatever he's saying, I'm saying lasagna. Like that is, yeah, it's just, it's got everything. Lasagna, lasagna is life. I, I love lasagna. Yeah, I'm the same. It was always my birthday meal. I didn't want to go out. Oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. I don't want to go out. I want a lasagna at home. Yeah, a lot of time for that. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then the second part to it is it's four seats there. Who would you have round? Ranulph Fines, yeah, the explorer, um, just an absolute legend. Am I taking up one of these four seats? No. Oh, okay. Four other seats. Ranulph Fines, obviously the first one because he's a legend. I mean, if you've got him, you've probably got to have David Attenborough. Yeah. Which is probably everyone's probably said him. Um, no, that's yeah. Oh really? Yeah. No I've, I've been waiting for somebody to say him because he, he'd be one of mine. Yeah, definitely. Oh, who would I have here? My granddad, but that's obviously a personal one. Yeah. Um, he was my hero. Um, third one. We weirdly, Brian O'Driscoll. Oh really? Yeah, he was my first sports hero. I yeah, loved okay. him with the nipper. Greatest rugby player of all time. Um, I bet he's got some stories. Yeah, so that's, that's a weird little mixture. That um, that'd be quite a good a good table because yeah, you've got you've got the adventurer, you've got the sports, you've got you've got your own personal yeah. kind of history behind it as well. Um, all all of which would be able to deliver some really good stories. There's all something else coming in, isn't there? Yeah. You've got the three old people, and then Brian O'Driscoll, who's just a legend at like rugby, so he has good drinking like stories. Yeah. yeah, and 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 injury stories and yeah. and ridiculous yeah match time stories. Some of the yeah. stuff that goes on playing rugby is is ridiculous. But yeah, all good fun. Awesome, Look, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, no, thank you for having me. Really, really appreciate I it. it. Um, I always end up just just giving you and sending you love, compassion, and kindness um, your way. So thank you very much for coming on. And thanks, um, mate. We'll we'll keep chatting. Nice one. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you.
Well, thank you, friends. That's all we've got time for today. I'm sure you have enjoyed uh, today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you rate uh, the episode and the show's five stars on whatever platform you might be listening on. And of course, please share your own stories and your own um, kind of thoughts and feelings of the episodes in the reviews. You can also find me um, on I am Gavin Clark and that's Clark with an E over on Instagram and you can search for The Safe Place uh, on there too it's a safe place podcast but for now I'll send you away with love kindness and compassion speak soon <laughs>